Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hey, you're stealing my line. You didn't say it. It's written in. Oh, I sorry. <laughs> Drama. <laughs> I'm gonna start all over again. Konnichiwa. Welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Because you voted and we listened. This season, we are discussing business bosses and leaders. Woo! Yeah! Today, we're talking about Mayumi Watanabe de Suosa Lima, a leading education sector architect in Brazil. I'm Nergeri Rivas, listening to 63 Hours of Atlas Shrugged <laughs> in Houston, Texas. It's really long. Yes, it's a long one. <laughs> I hope you have enough time in your Libby account for that. Uh, it's not. There's no hold. Okay. Cool. There's no, no waiting one's list. waiting. <laughs> oh, no one's waiting for yeah, it. No one's waiting, so okay. I just keep renewing it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I try to go 20 hours or less. But anyway, um, I'm Jessica Rogers, and I'm about to begin reading the book called Origin, A Genetic History of the Americas. <laughs> Sounds so exciting. <laughs> From Miami, Florida. Wow. It does. We'll see. I haven't started yet. And I'm Lizzie Rar, and I just finished listening to The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn in San Francisco. Do you recommend it? Yeah, it was very good. It's about a Russian sniper in World War II, a female sniper. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Well, I'm excited to read after this. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and to add more books. Maybe not Alice Shrug. I'm sorry. It's a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so quick disclaimer. We are... Aspiring architectural historians, lifelong learners, we are curiosity-led storytellers, okay? But we are also not perfect. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, let us know, send us a comment or an email, and let's just keep the party going. All right, time to start. <clears throat> the time was December 5th, 1934. The place, Tokyo, Japan. Mayumi Watanabe was born. Cool. 
Japan. Mm-hmm. Her father was a journalist and her mother worked in theater. Sounds like an interesting couple. <laughs> yeah. That does sound like fun. Yeah, very artistic. Sounds like mm-hmm. it maybe had an influence on her. Mm. We'll see. We shall see. Mayumi was a child, la-di-da, minding her own business. But all the while, <laughs> she's chilling, being a little kid, doing little kid things. When the Japanese government starts persecuting Marxist intellectuals in the country, meaning her parents were in trouble. Omoshiro. Taihen. That took a turn. Wait, but were her parents Marxists or just intellectuals, a.k.a. all intellectuals are in trouble? So I think that they were Marxists and intellectuals. Mm. So like double trouble. Mm. trouble. Basically, they just had to get away from there. So in 1938, little four year old Mayumi, her sister Sayumi. That's right. (laughs) Mayumi and Sayumi. (laughs) And their mom and dad relocated to Brazil. Also, fun fact, Brazil has the largest community of Japanese people outside of Japan. You know what? I actually did know that. I do not remember why, but I remember somebody mentioning it to me at some point, and I thought it was super fascinating. Would totally... Yeah, I wouldn't have picked Brazil. Yeah, would never have yeah. expected it. <laughs> Interesting. Amoshiro. <laughs> Which means cool. <laughs> By the way, we never translate what we say, but that's what it means. (laughs) When you say it twice, you translate it. Yeah. (laughs) When the Watanabes arrived in Brazil, they lived on a farm. Then in March of 1940, they officially settled in Sao Paulo. The schools that Mayumi and Sayumi were going to when they were young in Brazil were far from their home and they had to walk long distances every day just to get an education. My school was far too, like about an hour drive, but there's a big difference between sleeping in the car while my mom sits in traffic Mm -hmm. for an hour and poor Mayumi and Sayumi walking for God knows how long. Yeah, I mean, that's like some uphill both ways kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they still went, though, even though it was so far. My school was not very far driving, but I can't imagine walking there. Yeah, I couldn't either. Nijiri, I my school was about the same distance as well. It was about like 45 minutes to an hour based on traffic. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I sometimes my parents or a parent would drive us, but we also would take like the train and the bus. So there were a couple of times when I would fall asleep just being there so early in the morning, but it's just, I'm sleeping. I'm not walking. Yeah. I feel like little kids a long time ago were doing things that we wouldn't imagine doing today. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Thankfully, the education paid off. At the age of 22, Mayumi became a Brazilian citizen and started attending the School of Architecture and Urbanism at the University of Sao Paulo. While there, she became immediately involved in the university's journalistic scene. She was director of student publications and responsible for the school journal Estudos between 1956 and 1957. Let me just say, girl just got into college and she was like running the world. (laughs) I could like barely remember basic hygiene my first year of college, (laughs) let alone 
run anything other than myself from studio to the dorm. I think she's kind of crazy. <laughs> Way to go, Mayumi. <laughs> That's amazing. And, you know, her father was a journalist, so I can see where she gets it from. While she was studying architecture, she also found time to take Introduction to Social Sciences courses at the School of Sociology and Politics of Sao Paulo, which reminded me of our social sciences course, which we took together with Dr. Paris. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> but seriously, I like that Mayumi did this. I wish I would have minored in sociology and politics because it's a field that's always interested me. And mm -hmm. I think it would have been beneficial for me as an architect to know more about it. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. That class was hilarious, first of all. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I agree, Nergy. I think sociology is super interesting and definitely has an influence on architecture. So I could see how those would complement each other well. Yeah. I really liked that class and he was such an interesting professor and so it was like the other topics that he had and like you guys said it's interesting to think of ways that a course like that could be useful for an architect um i actually took a couple of his classes at syracuse and i was maybe just a few credits away from having a sociology minor so anyway i wonder what this that's could cool yeah I, I had to take sociology 101, which I was like, I don't feel like doing that after I've already taken like five other sociology classes. So anyway, uh, um, but I do wonder what this could mean for Mayumi. Yeah, I'll tell you what it means for Mayumi. OK, but before that, consider this expat in Brazil involved mm -hmm. in social sciences and journalism is any of this giving you any vibes? Hmm. <laughs> yes, I feel like you're writing Lena episode part three or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. I hope right? this, I like, mean, there's like a connection between the two. I hope they knew each other or talked or got coffee or I don't know. I have to look. I have to remember the dates again to see where it is in the timeline. Yes. Well, Mayumi gave me super Lena vibes. So just mm. like you, I was like, oh, my gosh, I hope they knew each other. I hope they influenced each other. And it turns out <gasps> that Mayumi was one of Lena's students. Oh! And in her last years of college, she started interning with her. Oh, jealous. Y'all, Mayumi worked on Maspi with <gasps> Lena Bobardi. What? Oh. Yes, I'm so jealous of Mayumi yes. in a good way, of course. Mm -hmm. I just love that she had that opportunity because, you know, I love Lena Bobardi. She's yes. my absolute favorite. I would do a whole season on Lena. But anyway, now we have Mayumi too. <laughs> and Mieshmo, I'm loving the connection. Get piso. How lucky. So jealous. Yeah. Mayumi wasn't satisfied interning with one superstar architect and, you know, getting her degree and like running the newspaper. <laughs> she was also the intern of Joao Batista Villanova Artigas. Wait, this was all during school? Yes. I mean, dang, Mayumi. <laughs> Joao Villanova Artigas was a modernist architect who is one of the most important names in the architectural history of Sao Paulo. And he was one of the founders of the Paulista School. 
Yes. So the Escola Paulista or the Paulista School was a group that believed in designing and building cool, brutalist architecture. Ala love is a concrete and rougher finishes. Um, I love it. I love concrete. Anyway, like Lizzie said, Artigas was one of the founders of this group and with a few other prominent Brazilian architects. Together, Lina and Joao were major influences for Mayumi and they encouraged her to get a master's after graduating. Okay, before that, let me say Mayumi graduated with a degree from the School of Architecture in 1960 because she can't get a master's without getting a bachelor's. And (laughs) then she went on to get a master's from the University of Brasilia in history and philosophy of education. Again, everything I have interest in, Mayumi was doing. I'm like so starstruck by her. (laughs) Incredible. I love that she went and got a master's in something else that complemented the architecture degree. I can't wait to mm-hmm. hear how that influenced her. It was so detrimental. So jealous to have had those influences in her life and her career and education. Ugh. But yeah, Mayumi is living our dream, y'all. She's living Tell our dream. Tell me about it. <laughs> With all this excitement, I almost forgot to mention that Mayumi got married. Well, <laughs> you know. Casual, just another thing she was doing in school. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just in case she didn't have any other time on her hands or yeah, any free you know. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just one year after graduating from architecture school in December 16, 1961, she got married to her college sweetheart, Sergio Zosa Lima. Mm-hmm. Sergio was also an intern with Lina and Sergio and Mayumi worked on details and coordination for Maspi. Again, so jealous. Mm. They were great partners for the rest of their lives, professionally, politically. They just saw eye to eye on a lot of things and were able to work together really well. Que fofo. Very cute. Very cute. While Mayumi was working on her master's at the University of Brasilia, she was also working with the architect <laughs> Joao Figueras Lima or mm-hmm. Lele, oh. who was the executive director of the university's planning center. With Lele, she designed and built the Sao Miguel Neighborhood Unit, a building for 10,000 people in Brasilia with prefabricated components. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. so this place is very cool, by the way. I had to do a quick Google search because I was just so interested in learning it. But um, Brasilia basically became this town where architects would experiment and explore different like urban design theories. Almost like Corbu and others that we've mentioned probably like a dozen times throughout our show. But this the idea was to create a utopia while exploring mass housing. Um, So like, yeah, in my five minute like Google search, there were a lot of things going on there. Just in the year 2020, by the way, they celebrated its 60th anniversary, which they were able to honor the women designers and architects that influenced the city. Which included our girl, Mayumi. Yeah, it did. <laughs> because Mayumi was a beast. <laughs> We're going to add that one to our adventures list. Yes. I'm not sure with what time whatsoever, but Mayumi at this time was also teaching. <laughs> non ten palabras. I mean, come on now. <laughs> Listen, Mayumi. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. She was designing a whole city, like a whole city. When did she have time 
to educate people. <laughs> no clue. But yes, she was a professor at the Colleges of Architecture and Urbanism at the same University of Brasilia and the School of Engineering of Sao Carlos. Two schools. That's right. <laughs> not one, but <laughs> not two. One, not one, but two. I cannot with this lady. <laughs> During this time, she was also part of the Brazilian Communist Party and led discussions within the party about the role of architects in society and the capitalist industry of construction. As part of her activism, she connected her first year students with the favelas. Some say she was trying to politicize the students, but I mean, probably. But I would also like to think that she was thinking of ways to kill two birds with one stone. Be a professor and help a community. And I bet there was a lot that the students could learn from working in the favelas, like innovative solutions that they could prevent for favela projects. I mean, that seems like a really good idea. Yeah. I mean, I feel like helping a community or starting to think about how architecture can affect changes in places like the favelas is an interesting concept to have students start thinking about. Not so much from a political sense, but just the idea that maybe you can design something in a way that makes people's lives better and more enjoyable. I mean, isn't that what we're trying to do with architecture? Create spaces that help people live better? I mean, yeah, there. and But there's different ways to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And politics aside, I think more professors, they need to teach this way of how to engage communities. I had a professor that had a similar approach to Mayumi. It was only my third year, but my studio professor, he made us go to like a specific neighborhood, which is where our site was going to be. And he made us go and talk to the residents, like strangers and have them explain their like life stories. And there was a guy that like cried in front of us because he was about to lose his property. It was it was wow. a humbling experience. And it was also very terrifying because just the impact of it all. Right. And yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. It makes you realize the role of the architect and how much of a difference that they can make or be a part of. Mm-hmm. And also just in general, you also start to think about how policies can change that and where like the citizen architect falls in line. And I don't know. It's, right. Yeah, it's cool. She believed architecture should do a better job of addressing and sometimes leading social changes, kind of like what you were saying, Jessica. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like what my professor would talk about, actually. Mm-hmm. In 1963, Mayumi, along with a delegation of 100 architects from Brazil, went to Havana, Cuba for the 7th International Congress of Architects, UIA, as a part of the evaluation committee of the Symposium on Teaching Architecture. Okay, does that sound fancy and important or what? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds really cool. And I don't know which part sounds cooler. The fact that it was a teaching symposium or that it was called like the International Congress or whatever. The (laughs) fact that there was six of them before. Or what about the fact that it was in Cuba at that time? (laughs) (laughs) Too many things to comment on. (laughs) Yes. That trip was super influential for Mayumi. She learned about the Cuban public and educational sectors, how they did things and their experience. And let me tell you that this will all play out in our story very soon. Mm. 
Interesting. Intrigue. I feel like at this point of the story, Mayumi would have been featured in a any 30 under 30 list. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she did do so much. It's That's very true. In 1964, Mayumi celebrated three decades circling the sun. Okay, she hasn't. She wasn't 30 yet, girls. Mm. <laughs> I cannot. And there was a military coup in Brazil. And the government was persecuting professors in university. <gasps> Happy milestone birthday, Mayumi. Oh, no. <laughs> We're taking a turn again. I don't like it. Ooh. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really nice birthday gift for her. <laughs> and also, well, like I was saying before, I think we lightly touched on this coup in the Lena episode when Lena said that she was like an insect, a really stealthy <laughs> person. <laughs> and she hid from persecution during the coup. Remember that? <laughs> it's uh, It's foggy. Remind me again. Okay, so I don't quite remember her leaving because... the insect part. Okay, no, see, that's the part I do remember. Um, I remember (laughs) that she had to leave. I don't recall that the reasoning that she had to leave was because that she was a professor. But yeah, I remember this phrase because I was just thinking, that's so weird. Like, girl, why are you comparing yourself to a bug? (laughs) But yeah, I do remember her moving and fleeing. So maybe... Yeah, yeah. Lena was a professor during that time, too. So, yeah, I just didn't put the. That's why she had to be like an insect. Okay, well, Mayumi was on the same stealthy boat. They were just stealthy people. (laughs) Stealthy. Mayumi said goodbye, homies, to the (laughs) university and went back to Sao Paulo in 1965. So long, university. Just because it became a little too dangerous to be a professor doesn't mean Mayumi lost her interest in education. Hmm. She redirected it. Instead of teaching, she focused on the institution of teaching itself in many mm. different facets from planning through construction. She became the planning director of the State Fund for School Buildings. Then, in 1968, she worked at the Center for Studies and Research of the Municipal Administration for two years. And after that, she moved on from there to be the superintendent of architecture works at the Organization for the Expansion and Improvement of Teaching Programs with Federal Government. Mm. Here, she was able to develop programs and projects for all of Brazil, and she collaborated in creating the Brazilian Center for School Constructions. Wow. I mean, it sounds like she made a real impact on educational and institutional architecture. Yeah. And to be able to create, in quote, the Center for School Constructions, she must have really known her stuff. Yeah, she did. Through the course of her career, she revolutionized the way funds were allocated to schools. Mm. She thought the process was too slow and bureaucratic. So she worked on finding ways to work around the system. She worked on getting the planning process to go through research of local needs and for the communities to get involved in participatory design. She got the green light to run a pilot project in Sao Paulo testing her methods. Three of those projects were the expansion of the John Kopka School from 1976 to 1978 and from 1983 to 1984, two new public schools, Fortaleza and Jardim Barrio de Vargina. It's super interesting to see how she went about making change through policy rather than her built projects, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm sure she also designed things differently, but the fact that she started even higher up is really cool. I mean, at the end of the day, schools impacts communities and the communities influence the schools. So, yeah, so true. Through these pilot programs, she meant to train citizens and students to develop a consciousness of space, how its use was tied to design. So they would be inspired and energized to participate in the construction of democratic spaces. Oh, I see. So she stopped teaching, but she didn't really stop, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she just went about it in a different way. One that wasn't getting persecuted by the government, you know, because she was stealthy. That's right. (laughs) Like Like an insect, some might say. (laughs) Mayumi didn't stop at the pre-design schematic project development phase. She also looked at the construction materials, means and methods, and also revamped the type of cost evaluations the government was doing for the schools. <laughs> I mean, Homegirl did create the Center for School Construction. So how could right. she not be involved in the construction of said schools? So true. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, Jessica. <laughs> Between 1989 and 1992, Mayumi was the director of the Center for the Development of Urban and Community Equipment in the city of Sao Paulo. I mean, how many more organizations is she going to start <laughs> direct? I just, I don't. I, mm. As the director of the Center of the Development of Urban and Community Equipment, she was stepping a bit outside of the education sector, but still with a public and civic service mentality, you know? Yes. Yeah. The center had a factory for prefabricated concrete parts for urban furniture and public buildings. So Mayumi started research on the production of urban fixtures by integrating the community in the process. She held public meetings, shared information on all that was involved in the construction of all these urban furniture items, and even sought to train more local people than ever before on how everything was made So they could be a part of the construction of their community. I love that she was teaching others in her community. Rumor rumor has it. Mayubi was really passionate about public school infrastructure and the public sector in general. I don't know if you noticed. (laughs) Because of her experience growing up walking a long way to school. Like uphill both ways. Like, <laughs> that's right. Like Lizzie said. That's right. <laughs> she wanted to make the experience better for children so that they could go uphill and then downhill. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to build more and better schools, schools that were more accessible and fit the needs of more children. Mm-hmm. This is brand new information. <laughs> I am shocked that she's interested in schools. What a turn of events. <laughs> You're so mean. I mean, like, the reason she was interested in I it mean, is because of I her know. experience as a child. I know, but Why are you making fun of me? No, the fact that she, that you have to tell us that she was interested in schools, girl, we I knew. Know. <laughs> she was a teacher. Like it wasn't uh, already apparent. <laughs> yeah. That she's a caring person and that she takes from her own experiences that she had in her childhood to influence her career. So 
Totally get it. Totally makes sense. Beleza. <laughs> she wrote books about the relationship between children and their educational spaces. Hmm. She wrote Education Spaces, Use and Construction in 1986, City and the Child in 1989, and Architecture and Education in 1995. In all these books, she sought to reflect on what she considered important in school design, how to design a space of equals, equality between students, teacher, social classes, and also she explored how to create a sense of ownership within the students to enhance their education. When speaking of designing educational spaces, she believed, and I quote, yay, I have a quote. <laughs> I usually don't. <laughs> Design enough to stimulate curiosity and imagination, but leave enough unfinished for the appropriation and transformation of the space through children's actions. I mean, what didn't this lady do? Teacher, <laughs> activist, architect, <laughs> author. <laughs> I love it. She's like my new role model. It's mm -hmm. like Lena and Mayumi in my heart. Yeah, you just have goals, to go to Brazil. Those are very lofty goals. Like you can oh, dream it, you can do it. <sighs> Throughout her more than 30 year career and every project she did, her main goal was to enhance the relationship between space and the inhabitants of that space. Like I mentioned before, she was all about education because knowledge of architectural concepts and space gave people the ability to transform space and recreate it as they needed. She thought that was really, really important to give people that access. It wasn't something that was only for architects. Mm. It should be for all citizens. This is so true. We need input from others on how they live and use spaces to make designs better. Heck yeah, it's not called community design for nothing. That's right. After a lot of years and a lot of good work, Mayumi passed away in 1994. An archive of her work can be found in the Perseo Abramo Foundation in Sao Paulo. Que triste. Wow. I mean, I know I just said it a few minutes ago, but what didn't this lady do? She did all the things mm -hmm. and made such great influences in educational design. Yeah. And she was only 60 years old, y'all. She did so much in such a short period of time. That's too young. I know. I was shocked when I did the math and I was like, oh, my gosh, she's only 60. Mm -hmm. I was nuts. That's, there's still but, time for us. That means that yeah. there's still time for us. Yes. We can do whatever we want. Mm hmm. Well, I, I'm really happy I got to share Mayumi's story. And actually, I, there's like a lot more that I'd like to say. So maybe we're going to have karyotids about her and Lena and it'll be a whole season about charrettes. You mean charrette? No, not karyotids, charrettes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it'll be a whole charrette series about things Margini <laughs> likes. <laughs> <laughs> you did throw out that, that charrette. My birthday episode. Yeah, I do. Uh -huh. Whatever I want. <laughs> you do what you can do about it. Whatever I like. That's what you're going to hear. Well, let's talk about the karyotid now. Go ahead, Lizzie. Tell us what a karyotid is. All like right. you always do. All right. A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. This week's karyotid is... 
Janice Brackett. Yeah, Janice. Yeah. Janice Brackett is the director of community projects at Kirksey Architecture. In this position, she oversees religious, recreation, cultural, civic, and nonprofit projects. And she is passionate about collaboration in the design process. She works with boards, committees, and volunteer groups because she knows the importance everyone has in creating a meaningful space. Whoa, that's a lot of different project types. I can see a connection with Mayumi. Oh, yeah. And I like how she's also involved with the community, the board, the different volunteer groups. Mm -hmm. Janice's education and background is interesting. She has a bachelor's degree in biology from the University of Missouri, Columbia. And then she went for master's in architecture from the University of Kansas. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder how the biology influences her designs. That's a good question. Lots of friends quotes this episode, guys. <laughs> it is interesting, though. Just like Mayumi, Janice is a leader. She was the AIA Houston president for three years and was elected to AIA National's think tank as 2017-2018 strategic counselor at large. Yeah, Janice. Janice was also a part of the City of Houston, AIA Houston, 2020 Visions Steering Committee. She was also chair of Gulf Coast Green and editorial committee for Green Works Houston. And above all, she finds time to be a mentor to those coming up in the field with the passion for participation and change that she has. Okay, I mean, I feel like a broken record this episode, but what doesn't this lady do? <laughs> I mean, she probably doesn't watch Grey's Anatomy. She probably doesn't, but I need to know what these people's schedules are. Like, can we look at their calendars? Because I just want to know where do they find the time? How packed is it? <laughs> right? <laughs> like 24 yeah. hours. Give me like the minute know. by minute, like play by play. Like, Tell us now. Well, since she's from Houston, I, I will reach out to her and I'll let you know if I get an A answer on her, her schedule. Calendar. Great. We look yeah. forward to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we end this episode, let's visit the Agora. Woo! In Greek society, the Agora was the central meeting place of the city where news was shared. So now we're going to share some news from the listeners. We received a comment on our website for episode four, Elizabeth Brack Cumming. The listener on the website named herself Kaylin. She shared with us that she included the episode as part of a research paper that she was working on <gasps> on gender discrimination in engineering. Whoa. Mm. And on top of tooting our own horn, <laughs> I just want to say that I'm really excited that she was doing that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. go Kaylin. Yeah. Jessica's dream of us becoming a resource to students is coming true. Yes. yes. But honestly, my real reason for sharing this today, on top of what we've said, is that I really, really want to congratulate Kaylin for taking on the subject. And we hope that she learned a lot through her paper and that it was well received. I hope she got an A. Yeah. Plus. <laughs> And I also hope that she's listening to this episode today and that she sends us an email because I'd really like to read this paper. I want to mm -hmm. know more about it. Yeah. And when you listeners, when you leave us comments on our website, there's no real way for us to get back in touch with you. So thank you for leaving us a comment. Listeners, leave us all the comments you want. 
but also send us an email so we can get in touch with you and make the and connection we can learn more about what you're doing. Whee! Yeah. But Kaylin, if you're out there and you're listening, please reach out to us and send us an email and maybe we can have a future charrette episode. Yeah. Well, this is really great. We want to continue to share great news from our listeners. So if you have news, big or small, to share, please send them to our email, shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. We want to celebrate you. Yes. All right. It's finally time to say adios. Before we sign off, we want to say arigato to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, muito obrigada for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Mayumi and Janice, along with our banter, and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, obrigada. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. We've got some awesome shows there, like, well, besides us, we have the Go Entree Architect. We have Our Ladies with Practice Disrupted. We have um, Spaces Podcast, Context and Claire, just so many, so many to choose from. So be sure to listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your educators, your teachers, your principals, your policymakers when it comes to educational design, all the people. Tell them all. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are so excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about bosses with us you can email us your thoughts at shebuildpodcast at gmail.com leave us a comment on our website shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on instagram and facebook at shebuildspodcast and on twitter at shebuildspod until then ciao ciao sayonara so the strategic oh yeah okay so the strategic council it works on developing ideas and programs to align with the AI strategic plan. Um, the strategic plan is something that gets like, it becomes like the plan or the crux of what the AI does. So one of the things that is very prominent that the AI does is the conversations around climate action and climate change. So that was kind of like from the strategic council. It came from that group because like you mentioned a little bit, it's a think tank from architects um, around the country that are representatives of the industry and they explain what it is that they think are important and that needs to be addressed, like climate action in uh, in recent years. So I wonder if um, Janice was involved with that, actually, based on her years. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. (laughs) 
Season 1 featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.